Luke 11, 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. Luke has gathered his narrative interestingly. He's, we've spent, there's been three little snapshots in the life and teaching of Jesus here stuck together, really just having to do with what the Christian life looks like. We saw two weeks ago the parable of the Good Samaritan and what radical love for neighbor the Christian is called to, to love his neighbor as himself. We saw that in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then last week we saw with Martha and Mary the, the Christian obligation, the encouragement to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what He has to say. The importance in the Christian life of listening to the Word of God. That was our theme, our idea, for our, our takeaway from our passage last week. The importance of listening, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to what He has to say. And then we go on this week into this next idea, this next section is it only important, when we talk about with Martha and Mary, is it only important to hear what God has to say? Is it important to hear what God has to say? Yes, absolutely. That was our takeaway from last week. It is important to be attending to the words from God. It's important to hear what He is saying. But that does not diminish the reality of the importance of God's desire to hear from us. Not negating the reality of how important it is that you hear from God in His Word, His voice speaking to you. Not diminishing that is this other reality that God longs to hear from us. And that's what we call prayer. That it, a part of a Christian's life, love for neighbor as himself, absolutely, love for God, love for neighbor, listening and hearing the words of Jesus, attending to His written Word, to His spoken Word through the, through the writers of the, of the Scripture to us, but also our speaking to Him. God desires to hear from us. And so it takes us into this prayer this morning, which we all know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'd like to find the history on this, and maybe it's as old as the church, but this church has been saying the Lord's Prayer every Sunday morning for, I don't know, a long time. How long? Ever since you've been here? Ever since ever. <laughs> this church has said the Lord's Prayer on, the sun, on a Sunday morning, which is absolutely incredible. It's not a thing I'm going to change. I love the idea of taking this prayer and committing it to memory. That we, are, we know this prayer. We breathe this prayer. That a person who attends faithfully at this church you're going to be able to stop them on the side of the street wherever and say, what's the Lord's Prayer? And you might have to say, our thought, you know, start them off a little bit. You know, once you get them started, we all, this, if you come here, you know the Lord's Prayer. And that is absolutely wonderful. It's commendable to know the Lord's Prayer. So 
we, we, we have to then a couple of things to handle on the front end because as you read Luke, this is not the prayer we pray, is it? Did you notice that? Father, hallowed be your name. It's missing a father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And we say, your will be done. That's not in Luke. Give us to stay our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, that's not all right there in Luke. So if you've got your Bible out still, why don't you flip with me over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is just some front-end detail. Few of you will pick up on it and wonder, does Darren not realize we don't, that's not what we pray? So I just want to make sure you know I've done my homework. This is, there, there is a teaching from Matthew 6. And if you look at Matthew 6, this is Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on Mount on prayer. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We, we say sins there instead of debts. If you've been Methodist, I, I still sometimes say debts and debtors because they, they come out of there. But And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there is the full content of what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Why is there a difference? I mean, so we, some people would say, well, look at that. Jesus, Luke, either Luke has it wrong or Matthew has it wrong. Well, the simple explanation, Jesus teaches on prayer more than once. It actually is quite an encouragement that there are these two different models of prayer. Jesus isn't saying recite verbatim these exact words because he doesn't recite these exact words when he teaches later on in Luke 11. You'll notice Luke 11, a disciple asks, teach us to pray. That doesn't happen in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus just includes it in part of his teaching. And so what we see from this is that though it is fine to recite it because you're committing it to memory, it isn't necessarily just a hard and fast resuscitation, reciting of the prayer that matters. Jesus, Jesus is putting forward a model of prayer. He's teaching this at two different times with great similarity. So the, the words, the content that we get and when we recite it come more from Matthew than it does from Luke. Now, one other thing on the front end. Do we end and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil? Wake up, people. Do we end there? We say, for thine is the kingdom and the power. Now, we just said it. How can half of you have forgot it already? For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. So, that's not in here. What's up? Well, we got our pew Bibles out. Now, if you have a KJV, which stands for King James Version, it will include, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So just so you, don't, you know Darren's done his homework, I'm aware there's a textual difference in the KJVs where they come from their family of, of tradition that includes that at the end of Matthew. It is likely that a scribe at some point put that in at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. And throughout church history, so why do we say it? Well, the church has said it this way forever, that there are old documents in the church fathers recording that we do pray with this second ending. 
And the, but the reason why it's also okay, it is in keeping. It is a biblical prayer. We don't have time to go there this morning. First Chronicles 29, way back in your Old Testament, First and Second Chronicles, First and Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Back in First Chronicles 29, verse 11, write it down if you want to look it up later, is a prayer of David after the assembling of all the funds to build for Solomon to build the temple. David offers a prayer and he prays, Thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. So it is a biblical prayer that has been put on to the end, a doxology put on to the end of the Lord's Prayer. That is enough front-end content. We need to, to move on to the meat of what I want to say, but just for those of you who are a little more nerdy like me and want to understand what, why do we say it the way we say it, Matthew 6, 1 Chronicles 29, church has done it this way forever, moving on. So there's a great temptation when we get into the Lord's Prayer to just hit the brakes. And I, I, I was praying and thinking on this this morning, or this week, I prepared more than just this morning, <laughs> this week, <laughs> about what do we do with the Lord's Prayer? And I really, you could stop and you could do a sermon or a series on each of the propositions from the Lord's Prayer. Luke records five, Matthew records six different propositions. And we could hit the brakes and slow down and speak on every one of those propositions. And I think that it would be beneficial. There are lots of places that do take time to do that. If you have a catechism uh, or a confession, the Westminster, Westminster Catechism, Luther's Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, um, any of these catechisms or confessions, um, the 1689, 1689 London Baptist Confession, if you had any of those, they're going to walk you through the propositional statements of the Lord's Prayer. I commend them to you. Look them up. I read through the Heidelberg just this week in preparation. There are larger works that people have written. There are scores of Christian books out there, entire books on the Lord's Prayer. And if it's something you're interested in, I, I encourage you to dig into it and to, to study these things out. But as I thought and prayed on that this week, thinking about what do we really, what angle do I want to take here? My concern is that sometimes when you dig into so many technical details, it ends up handicapping you from just doing what you're supposed to do. And so my analogy is the only sport I ever was moderately decent at was golf. And um, if you're a golfer, and, and you've, you, the worst thing for me as a golfer to do was to go get an issue of Golf Digest. Because that's the, mag, that's the publication, the magazine of golf. Because you open it up, and it's going to give you 9,000 things to do to improve your swing. And so then you get up on the tee box, and you're thinking of at least 6 or 7 or 8 or 10 or 15, 20 separate individual things to try to do. And you swing, and you duff it off the end of the uh, tee box. You know, or you, it, it doesn't go anywhere. Because you're, you're so tied up in all these little intricate details that sometimes your dad or whoever has to come up and just say, forget all that stuff, just before, don't even take time to think, walk up and just swing and hit the ball. Almost like a reset of, this is just hitting a ball with a stick. That makes sense? Basketball shooters, I never was good at, at, at basketball, but you know, they had a free throw routine and all these things, and boy, they get their elbow out to the side or off, and you ever start messing with someone's, elbow when they're trying to shoot a basketball and they and all of a sudden they've got everything off they can't 
even hit the rim anymore because they're thinking about shooting with their legs and getting their elbow underneath the ball and backspin. They got all these hundreds of things instead of just, if they're a natural shooter, shooting the ball. Well, sometimes you can take the Lord's Prayer, and I don't want to break this down into such a way that we find ourselves handicapped at doing what really Jesus is just trying to get at, which is this. Pray. I mean, this is the profound message from the the, the meat of the Lord's Prayer. Pray. Pray. God has an ear to the prayer of His children. And so for the remainder of our time, just four thoughts out of this section of John 11 in Lord's Prayer. The example of prayer, the expectation of prayer, the encouragement to pray or the encouragement in prayer, and the pattern of prayer. So first is just the example of prayer. Verse, 11, verse 1 of chapter 11, back in Luke. Now Jesus was praying. The example of prayer. This is an astonishing detail that Luke picks up on many places throughout his gospel narrative. Jesus, God in the flesh, the co-eternal with God in his being, his separate person, divine person, Jesus Christ, incarnate in the flesh, fully God, fully man. What does he do? He prays. Jesus prays. The God-man takes time to pray. We've seen this just as I went through it quickly six times already specifically in the Gospel of Luke. If you want to take notes and, and write these down to look at them yourself or maybe you're listening online later, here they are. They're at his baptism. He's praying in chapter 3, verse 21. Withdrawing from the crowds to pray in chapter 5, verse 16, he prays. He continues all night in prayer in chapter 6, verse 12. At the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi, at the confession of Peter in chapter 9, verse 18, Jesus is there praying. Before the transfiguration in chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, we see Jesus praying. And then upon the return of the 72, just back in chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, we get to listen into Jesus praying. Six times that Luke is specific, in, in just these ten chapters, nine chapters, Luke is mentioning, reminding us, this is now the seventh and the eleventh chapter, of him reminding and, and showing us the example of Jesus being involved in praying. He's making a point with this example of Jesus. If the God-man works miracles, casts out demons, raises the dead, teaches like no one else taught, if he takes time to pray, should we not? Don't, we cannot use the excuse. Jesus certainly was praying more than those times as well. You think about the temptation there. He's, with the, he's fasting for 40 days in the desert and Satan shows up and is tempting him. You think Jesus was praying during his temptation? I'm sure he was. Luke doesn't mention it. You don't think he prays as the, as the sick come to him on how to respond and how to heal and what to do next? Certainly he was. So Jesus prays all the time, but we also see this reality. Jesus specifically sets up time to pray. We cannot use the excuse of, well, I'm praying all the time. I pray all the time. I'm always talking to God. I'm always talking to God as some sort of excuse to not take and set aside specific time to pray. 
dedicated times of prayer will lead to more regular and organic times of prayer. But just some practical application in the middle of the sermon here. Practical application. Do you have a set-up prayer time where you're saying that, that I am setting aside my phone, I'm setting aside the TV, I'm setting aside all of these things, all my distractions. If I have to get up early in the morning, then I'll do it then. If I have to stay up later than everybody else, but I have a dedicated time of where I am communing with God. If you don't start, three minutes. Set a timer for three minutes. Three minutes. And, and take those three minutes to talk, yes, talk, to God. Those three will likely grow into more. And then believe it or not, as you have more dedicated, structured times of prayer, it does then put you in an attitude of prayer when you're outside of prayer. But Jesus leads us with this example of prayer. He puts aside certain times to pray. So we have the example of prayer. We have the expectation of prayer. Why do we pray? Jesus going on in chapter 11 Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, when you pray, say. There is this expectation coming from Jesus that his disciples will pray. He didn't say, if you decide to pray, or if you happen to think, I'll pray today. He says, when you pray, it is an expectation. It is an understanding that is there that the disciples of Jesus, that God's people will be in prayer. Not if you pray, but when you pray. Jesus has an expectation that we are to pray. When you pray, but not only that, when you pray, say. There is content to this prayer. We are not the Eastern mystics that has prayer as some sort of a meditation empty in your mind in some corner trying to think of nothing. No, prayer for the Christian is communication. It is saying something. When you pray, say. Yes, say it out loud if you need to. Get a quiet room. If you're afraid people will hear you talking to yourself and think you're crazy, get a quiet room somewhere. But yeah, and if talking out loud doesn't work for you, whatever. But... The idea is that there's content to this. You are communicating to God. We have the example of prayer from Jesus. We have the expectation of prayer that he says when you pray. And then we have the encouragement in prayer. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to get bogged down in details. All of these things I'm trying to say are just to encourage you to take up times of prayer. So we have the example of Jesus, the expectation from Jesus. We have the encouragement. How incredible is it? This disciple says, teach me to pray. And Jesus doesn't say, you don't know how to pray. <laughs> Are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? You've been with me half, I mean, they've been with him two and a half years now, listening to him pray, involved watching him pray. He didn't say, you don't know how to, if you don't know it yet, forget it. I mean, that's what sometimes you think, you know, if you haven't got it figured out by now, I don't have any hope for you. But Jesus doesn't say that. He condescends. He says, you know what? You want to learn to pray? Okay, here's how you do it. There is this encouragement to the disciple to learn to pray. Jesus has no expectation that they should have it all figured out by now, that they should already know exactly what to do. He says, you want to learn to pray? Okay, I will teach you. There is encouragement to be about learning how to pray. 
One of the responses I hear most often from people about gathering like we do on Wednesday, one Wednesday night a month to pray, I'm not a good prayer. I don't, I don't know how to say good prayers. And I just, I don't even know how to respond to that sometimes. I, I don't know how to pray good prayers. What do you think prayer is? What do you think prayer is? You think it's me? I mean, a pastoral prayer, I know I've heard from, I carry on my pastoral prayer. I get it. Do you think that's the only way there is? I mean, prayer is coming to your Father and expressing what's on your heart. Prayer is coming to your Father and speaking to your Father. The idea that I don't know how to pray good prayers, what happens when a child begins to speak to their Father? What does a father do when a child begins to speak to their father? I got a prop this morning. You ready for this? You guys know what this is? Who wants to, who wants to volunteer what this is? What is this? Passy? Binky? It's not a pacifier, no. And it's not a, it's not a binky. Mute button. <laughs> this is a beep beep. This is a beep beep. Joel, Joel knows it. My son knows it. He knows that this is not a pacifier, this is not a binky, this is not a mute button, this is a beep beep. And the reason why it's a beep beep is because my daughter began to speak and she said, I want a beep beep. And I didn't sit her down and say, you know what, honey, until you can learn to say pacifier, I'm not listening to a word you say. (laughs) Nice try, this is not a beep beep, this is a pacifier, and I want to hear every syllable, and I want to hear it just clear, I want to hear it perfectly clear, any stumbling, any stuttering, any mumbling, I'm not hearing it, until you say pacifier, I will not hear you. No, when she says beep beep, I say, I love it, let's call it beep beep. That is a father's desire to hear his children speak. I mean, we call medicine medis in my house. It's not medis. But a kid, you know, way back years ago would talk about taking their medis. And it's stuck. Joel, we don't watch YouTube at my house. We watch truck videos. Because we once watched truck videos on YouTube, we now call YouTube truck videos. I don't sit down and say, until you learn to say YouTube, we're never watching it. Truck videos, I know what you mean. What that is, is a father just glad to hear his children talk to him. This, I I bring this analogy up. What do you mean? You don't know how to say pacifier? Okay, say beep beep. You don't know how to say it just right? It is your Father in heaven. When Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, Abba, my Dad. I don't have all the words down right. And you think God is in heaven chastising you because you don't have the right language. Don't be ridiculous. Your Father wants to hear you speak. Your Father wants to hear you speak. He just wants to be glad in hearing your voice call out to him. So we have the example of prayer, the expectation of prayer, the encouragement to pray. Start somewhere. That's why I say the three minutes. So you can't pray an hour. Oh, I don't. Okay. Can you pray 30 seconds? Can you take five seconds right now? Father, help us in this place. Can you speak to your father? So we have those, and now we move on to the pattern of prayer. Really, the Lord's Prayer is pretty simple. It's two big ideas. 
prayer directed to God, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, our debts, as we forgive those, our debtors, those who sin against us, those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Two big ideas. Prayer to God that his name would be hallowed. Our desire in the Lord's prayer and above everything else when we come to God is that he would be honored. He would be magnified. He would be glorified. And let me tell you, when you put that as the primary focus of your prayer, you've got five, six concerning things that have happened at your job or whatever throughout your day. And then you sit down to pray and you start with, God, may you be made great. A lot of the trifling stuff kind of fades away. God is sovereign. God is over it all. And what I want more than my own comfort, what I want more than this, that, or the other thing, what I want more than anything is that your name would be hallowed, that God's name would be praised, revered, honored, glorified. God, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth. Kingdom come has eschatological end times implications. But really, when you pray that school shootings stop happening, you're praying, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done. May what you want to be done be done on earth. Prayer towards God that his name would be hallowed and that uh, his kingdom would come and his will be done. And the second block, first is towards God, second block is for our own needs, our own provision, our own pardon, our own protection. If this is getting too deep, too many things, just pray. Just pray to your Father who wants to hear you. But we do pray for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. In the Christian, there is a daily understanding. I am dependent upon God for my very breath. Everything I have, needs to come from my heavenly Father. Give me this day my daily bread. And you're, when you're praying for daily bread, that's because tomorrow I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, God, give me this day my daily bread. Provision. The Christian knows their utter dependence upon God. It's a dependency from the first to the last. So we pray for our provision. We pray for our pardon. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Provision and pardon. Just stuck through the very core of the Christian life is this realization that we are sinners in need of saving. We need God's pardon. We have transgressed. We have rebelled. We have chosen sin. We have chosen our own righteousness, our own worship, our own desires, and not God. We have essentially attempted to dethrone God and put ourselves in his place, and he is not happy about it. He has wrath upon those who fight against his kingship. And so we pray, God, forgive me. The good news, as a Christian, we know forgiveness can be found in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That though we are sinners, when we ask for forgiveness, it isn't some esoteric, God, don't be just here, but forgive me. Don't forget that you're a righteous and holy God. Forgive me because I don't know why. No, a Christian prays, God, forgive me because the penalty I deserve has been poured out upon another. Jesus Christ took my place. He took my wrath. He took my judgment. He took my justice. So that in repentance and faith, looking to you, I really and truly could be forgiven of my sins, truly be pardoned. We pray for provision, for pardon, for protection. The final petition be strengthened that we would not be led into temptation, would resist the evil one. That's the quick breakdown.
because we're out of time. Big picture, your father wants to hear from you. Hallowed be his name, yes, his kingdom come. Praying for your daily needs, praying for provision, praying for pardon, forgiveness of your sins, praying for protection, absolutely. But above it all, pray. That's the quick breakdown of the Lord's Prayer. Take some time to pray through it, elaborate on it, think on it. But mainly my hope is that we'd be challenged and encouraged to pray. If you are saved by the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ this morning, it means that the Father longs to hear from you. It means that through the work of Christ, you've been adopted into God's very own family. He has become your father. You have become his child, and he longs to hear from you. Do you want to get better at praying? Good, good. Get started by going to your father and begin talking. And if you are his through the work of Christ, he is eager to hear your voice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the encouragement to learn to pray. We are all such beginners when it comes to communicating with you. Help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Encourage us with the good news of the gospel and the pardon that is ours, the adoption that is ours, so that we would go to our loving Father through the grace and mercy and work of Jesus Christ. Do this work in our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.